The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Everybody, I have to admit, I almost forgot today was a weekday. It's super weird to have July 4th off on the 5th on a Monday. I'm all discombobulated, but we're here and we're going to do a short podcast, meaning not going to get too much into the things that I think are the most interesting, which is again the absolute worst way that I could start a show. But I did it, so screw it. Hopefully you guys will stick with us here for the uh, 20, 25-minute pod or whatever we come out to. want to briefly mention that on Friday's show, we talked about the fact that today's podcast was going to be a chat with our buddy Adam King. It's not. That's going to be tomorrow. It was a lot of fun. We talked about his way-too-early top 100 ranking board for next year and dropping that on a July 5th, the ultimate hangover day, I would think, the day after July 4th, people come back, people skip the Monday after July 4th when July 4th is like the previous Thursday, and it was actually yesterday. I don't know what people did uh, with their July 4th. I know that we are inching towards normalcy. We went to a barbecue, for instance. Outside, of course. That's the way things all have to be these days, and plus it was like 72 in Los Angeles, so hell yeah. Uh, But at the same time, I don't know. Did people get as crazy as usual? I'm an old man now. I don't I've been crazy in a long time, if ever. Regardless, I'm not using up a delightful recording with my good buddy Adam from right here at Hoop Ball. I'm not using it up on today when I'm betting most of you will listen to this podcast tomorrow, if at all. So, with that in mind, I decided to make it the most compelling show I possibly could. And that's totally sarcastic and a lie. As we move into the Northwest Division. First of all, hello everyone. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris. I have so many cool things to tell you guys about, but I'm going to do it all on tomorrow's show. Because I just, I don't think that, I think like a, maybe like 50 to 60% of you are actually going to listen to today's podcast. And it just seems silly for me to spend three, four, five minutes on super cool, important stuff happening at over at Hoopball when the message isn't going to get across. I guess I could just do it twice, but whatever. I want today's show to be short, sweet, to the point. And that point is opening up the Northwest Division, our team-by-team recap. Tomorrow, we'll do the Adam King way-too-early top 100 and some more breaking news on the podcast front. Uh, other shows at Hoopball, I should mention. By the way, new episode of uh, Punt Intended, the uh, our brand-new Dynasty show, dropped on Sunday, no, early this morning? I've lost track of dates. I think it's this morning. Doesn't matter. Might have been yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday, wasn't it? Who cares what day it was? It's out. That's what matters. So while we're here, while you're with us on this lovely July the 5th, the Northwest Division is home to uh, teams across all sorts of parts of the U.S., not really all in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, really, I'm going to argue one of them is. The Portland Trailblazers 
are in the Northwest. Jazz, Nuggets, they're in the mountains. The Thunder, they're in the plains. Isn't that the Great Plains out there? And then the Wolves, that's the Midwest. But whatever, that's who's there. There's a lot of interesting stuff. This is, by all accounts, a more interesting division than the Pacific Division, which we covered, and honestly, I thought the Kings were kind of the only... From a where-might-we-find-some-value standpoint, there almost wasn't anybody in the whole division. There were certainly some spots where we wanted to focus negative attention and avoid, but we, we pivot now into the Northwest, and to me, there are so many compelling storylines here. The Wolves, they played well at the end of the season... That's, a, that's usually a reason to back a team going into the following year. That's good vibes. That's good feelings. That does matter. The Thunder, year two of the teardown. What does that mean going forward? Nuggets. The Nuggets beat to hell, not getting Jamal Murray back till at best, middle of next year. The Jazz exposed in the postseason after posting the number one seed in the regular season next year. From a storyline standpoint, we're chock full of it. But I want to start with the Portland Trailblazers because, first of all, they've had some changes. Chauncey Billups is now the head coach. Terry Stotts is out. From a game plan standpoint, I don't think you have to worry about a ton there, at least on the fantasy side. What you do have to think about is contractually, does anything really shift that much? And we've heard the Blazers, they've been embroiled in all kinds of trade rumors because, look, they know Damian Lillard is 30. He's been extraordinarily loyal to Portland. Every time a trade rumor has surfaced, he's smashed it down. Quick, really quick, he's taken care of it. But C.J. McCollum would seemingly be on the block because not that they haven't worked well together. There is a bit of a superfluous nature to having two very good scoring guards on the same team. It's helpful. It's helpful. Make no mistake. But Portland's issues have been elsewhere. They've, they've been able to score generally just fine against pretty much everybody besides the Lakers in the bubble last year. That was like the one time I watched the Blazers and thought, damn, they can't get anything going because Anthony Davis has turned Yusuf Nurkic into nothing. Completely shut him down, because they forced Nurkic to be a role man, and he couldn't handle it. Lakers' defense just tripped him up. Nurk, by the way, has a non-guaranteed $12 million contract this coming year, but I'm sure they'll keep that, because that's very affordable for someone of, of his stat or skill set, I suppose. Covington, Rocco is set to make $13 million this coming year. McCollum, 31. Dame, 44. Derek Jones Jr., 9.7. That's a bit on the high side. Those are the guys that are locked in, at least substantial contracts that are locked in. Anthony Simons is set to make 4 mil. Uh, Nas Little, 2.5. And And that's really it. Zach Collins, who's hurt again, his contract actually is coming off the books this coming year. Although it's it's a strange thing right now because the, the raises that everybody's due sort of cancel out whatever savings the Blazers were, were staring down the barrel of. Dame's contract was 32 mil this last year. It goes up to 44. So Collins is five and a half. That only chews up part of that. Ennis Cantor, who was just a stellar, stellar acquisition for Portland. They needed him badly this season. 
He only made $5 million. I'm betting he'll make more than that. Or, as we've said before, perhaps he does make five again, but he'll probably get more than a year. He showed himself to be quite durable. Not super helpful on the defensive end, but just a really helpful, durable fantasy player all season long. And don't worry, we'll get to the fantasy stuff in a minute. And then Mello, who made, I believe, the veteran's minimum at 2.6, will he come back? This was the place that gave him this opportunity. Maybe someone else... I don't think he's making more than a one-year deal. Melo's 37 at this point. So where does he go? Does he end up uh, with one of his banana boat buddies? Like, does he go to the Lakers? That seems like a terrible fit. Does he go hang out with Chris Paul? I doubt it. It seems like Portland is the right fit for him, but we don't know. The very large contractual question mark belongs to Norman Powell, who has a player option for about $12 million this coming season. And I would venture to guess he's going to opt out of that deal. $12 million is a reasonable sum, probably not all that far from what he ends up making when all said and done. Maybe he can do a little bit better. But again, there's that annual value type of thing where maybe he does make $12 million, but it'll probably be over three years. He's 28 years old. He's due for a better contract, a longer contract at the very least. He's not in one-year territory, so why... Why exercise your player option unless you thought the next was going to be much smaller a la Andre Drummond, who knew if he didn't exercise his player option for this year, he was probably going to take about a $15 million pay cut. Norman Powell, even if he thinks his average annual value goes down from 11.5, 12-ish range to like 10, you could still very easily see him getting 15 over two years. That's more than 10, by the way. Uh, Sorry. Uh, $30 million over two years is what I meant to say, which would be 15 You could see him getting 32 33 over three. Like, he probably makes more than the 11.5 mil, but even if in a hypothetical universe the average value goes down, you're still talking about probably four years, $40 million or something like that for him. So there's a lot more guaranteed money to be had. Does he come back to Portland? is the question mark. I believe they can go over the salary cap having traded for him midseason, but I don't know for sure. That's outside my area of expertise. If Norman Powell does not come back, that leaves a pretty good size hole at small forward for the Blazers, which you would figure Anthony Simons is probably the guy to fill that hole. I guess there's no way to know for sure. And off-season trades are still yet to be determined on a lot of fronts here. But as the roster is currently constructed, that's the direction you have to be looking. Let's go through some of the fantasy player stuff and see what we can figure out. First of all, Damian Lillard was obviously the, the number one player on the team. That's never in question. He's shown himself to be not only incredibly predictable from a fantasy standpoint, but also pretty damn reliable. He played 67 out of 72 ball games, which is better than league average. He was number 10 on a per-game basis, not because of any one thing that was slightly worse this year. In fact, overall, you could almost argue he was a little bit better. Look, bottom line, he was a top 10 player again. And by totals, because most of the other guys that had a per-game value inside the top 10 ahead of Dame, didn't get close to 67 ball games, but for Nikola Jokic and then Steph was relatively close. Dame was actually number three 
by totals this regular season. Yeah, number three. Your first-round pick, you want them playing 90% of their games or more. If you get that, you get a fat victory. It's as simple as that. Really, honestly. If you go back this year and you look at first-rounders, people drafted in the first round who played 90% of their games, the hit rate is pretty freaking good. The misses there are Devin Booker, who just was generally not good from a fantasy standpoint. There's no, you can really sugarcoat that all that much. Where the hell was Booker when this thing all ended up? He was like in the 60s or 70s, wasn't he? 49? Yeah. Uh, no, that was by totals. Excuse me. That was by totals. Booker by averages was 78. So that was a huge miss on the on the averages standpoint. Trey Young was uh, right on the cusp. He played 63 out of 72 ball games. So he actually didn't make the 90% cut holder. He also would have been a a uh, cutoff, I should say, or he would have been a a much large or a large miss as well. But among the guys drafted inside the top 10 that got to 90% of games. I mean, really there were only a couple. Jokic, Dame, and Booker sometimes was outside the top 10 anyway. So it was really just Jokic and Lillard reliable guys inside. Booker was like right around 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that neck of the woods. So if you want to throw him in there, you can throw him in and call him a miss. But the rest of those guys, easy wins. Jokic and Lillard. And then the other, only other guys that were even really all that close, Jason Tatum played 64 games. He was drafted just outside the top 10. Uh, Steph played 63 games. He was drafted inside the top 10 and was uh, also a very good hit. And Tatum, as you guys have heard me argue before, I call him a big-time win this season. I don't know why there's this this Tatum hate. I can't figure that one out. But uh, where else do you even want to go with this? Luka? Yeah, I guess Luka, but he never belonged there. We've talked about that a million times. His free throw number was never going to get him high enough to be in that top, top, top most echelon. And then if you're a nine cat, turnovers was also going to drive him down. So that that's a different one altogether. Yes, he did hit the 90% threshold, but he was never a guy that we listed as a first rounder anyway. AD didn't make it. Towns didn't make it. Giannis didn't make it. Trey didn't play enough. James LeBron didn't play enough. Kawhi, KD, Embiid. Now we're down into like the 16, 17, 18 range. But I guess if you want to go that far, that's fine. Bradley Beal didn't make it. Not that many dudes is the lesson of all of this actually played 90% of their basketball games. Very few, in fact. Bam Adebayo. He was there, right? Uh, no, missed by one. Ain't that a pisser. But he actually was a big hit also. 64 games, that was more than enough to to get your marker. That generally jumped guys about a half round or more. 64 was was a pretty big win. Winners this year didn't even have to play 90% of their games. It, it was more like uh, missing about 11, 61, 62-ish out of 72 games. That was, that was good enough. Giannis played 61 games. He was 14 by averages. He was 15 by total. So that's, that gives you your indicator right there. That 61 to 62 game, about 61 and a half, was the league average for fantasy-relevant games played. Fantasy-relevant play, players 
and their games played number. This is a very long aside to once again highlight the point of some people don't take Damian Lillard in drafts because it feels boring, but the dude plays 90% of his games most of the damn time, and he's inside the top 10 on a per-game basis most of the damn time. He'll miss his handful. There's always like five, four or five games missed here and there, sometimes as many as eight or nine, but he's had some 80s. I think four times in his career he's played 80 games or more. But pretty much every year, he's at either 75 or if you're in a shorter season, 65 or more games. So you got to love Dame. I don't care how good he is or how bad he is on any given year. He's always staying in that narrow band of success. CJ McCollum was off to a fantastic start this year, got hurt, and then was never really quite the same. But also, let's be honest with ourselves, his numbers from the beginning of the year were never going to keep up the entire season anyway. He ended up at number 30 on a per-game basis, missed 25 games, so by totals he wasn't anywhere near the marker. But let's assume for a minute that CJ is back in Portland next year and try to handicap it from that standpoint. For one, it's pretty easy to handicap. Because CJ, and we've talked about this from a Clay Thompson standpoint, but CJ McCollum, Clay Thompson, these are your cookie cutter, uh, upper middle round slash late early round shooting guard types in the NBA. McCollum is the same GD player every year. But for one weird season, where CJ just exploded and shot 48%. That's a five years ago, by the way. Other than that, he's never really fluctuated off of that 44-45 number. He's always right there. This season, 45.8. Last year, 45.1. Previous season, 45.9. Year before that, 44.3. Year before that, 48. Remember that year? We all looked at that and we went, hmm, is this the bump? Is this the year he takes the bump? Nope. It was not. I will point out, though, that for CJ's sake, this year, about 19 shots a game again, which is always right around where he's at, he did shoot more three-pointers without suffering in the field goal percent department. So that was actually a really nice little boost for McCollum, where everything else stayed relatively similar. His blocks were right on his league average. His steals were right on his career mark. Assists were up a little bit this season. I don't know if that's something that would hold long-term. Maybe that's just the pace of play in the NBA right now. Rebounds were pretty much where they've been for him every year since he's been a 30-some-odd-minutes-a-game starter. You can set your, your clock to McCollum, and I would argue that even though he did have that injury this year, by and large, he's actually been as durable as Lillard, but for a couple of weird little blips in there. Like, you go back to the very early part of his career and you could find some issues, but 2015, 80 games, 16, 80 games, 17, 81, 18, 19, he played 70 games. There was a a little injury in there, but that's still only a dozen. Then last year, he missed like two, and then this year, 25. This was sort of the first time that he had a ruptured season. I'm inclined to believe that that is not the norm. He'll be 30 in about two months, so 
I don't think that we can say with any kind of certainty that he's getting old or getting brittle. I don't think that we can point to this year and say this is the start of something. There's a little fear there, and there's certainly the fear that he gets traded, but we have to do this handicap right now based on the assumption that he's not. He was number 30 on a per-game basis. I would say if he continues to shoot this many three-pointers, you have to assume the field goal percent might suffer a little bit. And then free throw percent was just a hair below his career mark this season, but by and large, it was pretty much right on the money as well. So, yeah, I mean, set your your clocks to C.J. McCollum. If he gets drafted past 40, you probably take him and just call it kind of a gimme win, provided he doesn't have another two-month injury. And if he's going before 40, then you realize, look, this is probably about as good as it gets. I wouldn't take him in the third round. I would consider taking him in the fourth and beyond. Rob Covington who would seem to have his job pretty well locked in, small ball four on this Blazers team, had himself a pretty good year. Number 52 on a per-game basis, played in 70 out of 72 games, so by totals, Rocco was number 20 this year. Gotta love that. Uh, Only 8.5 points, so the scoring was down, but about 7 rebounds, 1.4 steals, 1.2 blocks, two three-pointers, 40% from the field, 81 at the free-throw line. This season could have been a bit of a disaster for Covington, and it looked like it was headed that way when he got off to just that horrendous shooting start to the year. But he got it rolling, moved at about a top 25 clip for two, two and a half months in the middle of the season, maybe more than that, and uh, everything kind of worked out okay. It was never going to be as good as it was in Houston last season. That was the perfect scenario. He was a small ball center on that team, so the blocks jumped all the way up to 2.2 per game. That was never going to be sustainable for him. I think we always wanted to look more at what he had done in Minnesota or even Philadelphia when those teams were healthy and compare that. And so from that standpoint, this was a little bit of a down season. He wasn't shooting the ball as much, or really he just wasn't shooting the ball inside the three-point line as much. His number of three-pointers attempted didn't change that much, A little bit. It did. I mean, it dropped still. But overall field goal attempts dropped more from someone that had been generally in the 9 to 10.5 range, and this year he was at 7.5. Usage is value. Make no mistake. But when it's a guy whose value isn't at all tied up in usage to start with, there's a little bit more margin for error there. From that standpoint, you could actually see Rob Covington having a better season next year especially if the Blazers remove CJ McCollum from the equation and bring in someone else who shoots less passes more the other side of that too is what if they traded CJ for someone like Ben Simmons that's the thing we've heard kicked around a bunch I don't know that it's happening and frankly the fact we've heard it a bunch means it probably isn't but does that move Covington then down to the three and does that impact his numbers in any way does that hurt his rebounding probably but the shooting goes back up so I think you can make you could probably make an argument that almost no matter what happens around Covington as long as he's getting his 32 minutes a game he'll be fine as a top 50 per game guy who has once again kind of conquered the durability demons and I would I'm inclined to believe 
that Covington will probably be a draft day value again next year. He probably gets drafted after 50. So if you can get him as a fifth, sixth round draft pick type, and if he stays healthy again, he'll beat that. I don't know where Ennis Cantor ends up. I'm assuming it's not in Portland. I, I can't imagine that he could come back on a similarly affordable deal. He was fantastic this year. He was number 91 on a per-game basis, uh, which included 35 games of Yusuf Nurkic on the shelf, and that certainly did kind of artificially, but not really artificially, bump up his numbers for the season. But I don't think we can handicap Ennis Cantor other than to say he was one of the greatest fill-ins in fantasy to get almost three months out of someone producing like he did. I'd rather focus on Yusuf Nurkic, who was number 103 on a per-game basis and has all the smellings of a post-hype behemoth next year. I am lasered in, a la Woj and Shams and whoever else likes to tweet that they're lasered on a, uh, a team is lasered on a player. The Dan Vespers old man squad is lasered in on Yusuf Nurkic right now. Same way I've, I've been talking about Jason Tatum. As someone, well, on the Tatum front, he was a guy who actually had a decent season, but for some reason people felt disappointed by it. Nurkic had a season. Ooh, I don't usually curse on this podcast. I'm going to go back and censor that out. That's fine. You'll never know what happened. Well, you'll know what happened because we're going to put in a nose. A noise. Nurk had a crummy year. He was hurt. We heard about stuff happening abroad with his family. That sucks. So he wasn't at all in shape. It was weighing on him physically, emotionally. He wasn't there. We don't talk much in the NBA about a player being present. But Yusuf Nurkic was not present for this year. Still, he managed to creep inside the top 100, or right on the cusp of it, I should say. And if you're looking at the last few months of the season, things did improve for him, particularly when he came back from his injury. So if you look at, like, all-star break to the end of the year, which for Nurk, he played 25 games post-break, basically, he was number 80. And if you go uh, even tighter to the end of the year and just look at, like, the last month and a half... Uh, we got to go a little tighter than that because that's about when he came back. If you go to like the last five weeks of the season, he was number 62. And basically just do a countdown. Take a week off and move your slider towards the end of the year, little by little. Last four and a half weeks of the year, he was number 53. Last three and a half weeks of the year, he was number 45. You guys get the idea. So Yusuf Nurkic is really a top 50 fantasy guy. And this season doesn't change that because he was so out of shape, because he was such a mess, because he was hurt and playing 22 minutes a game for the first month and a half before sitting out like a large chunk of the year. Down the stretch, his minutes started to increase. First it was 25 minutes, then it was 26 minutes. And we started to see that number creeping up with him to where... If, I mean, take Ennis Canner out of the equation, which you might be doing next year, and Nurk is back to playing 27, 28 minutes a ballgame, maybe more. I love Yusuf Nurkic next year. I don't even care that his free throw percent in the bubble was a total mirage. Dude's not going to shoot 90% at the free throw line. It's just not happening. It's not who he is. He's probably going to be around 70. 
He's 67 in his career. He was 62% this year, but again, this year was sort of a, a bit cockeyed. Last, the previous couple of years, injured, whatever, he was more in the 70s. In the bubble, he was at like 90%, and that was never going to stick. That was what vaulted him into first-round territory. That's not going to stick, but he's still an easy top 50 per game guy. And if the free throw number is in the 70s, mid-70s, like we've seen a few times recently over full seasons, he's probably still a top 30 per game fantasy player, especially if Portland trades away 18 shots a game C.J. McCollum and brings in someone who's not taking 18 shots a game. That type of trade only helps these other guys because whoever they bring in probably isn't going to have the same number of field goal attempts as McCollum. 18 is tough to match. There aren't that many dudes in the NBA that were taking 18 shots a game. Let's look at this from one other perspective. If Norman Powell comes back and McCollum is traded, Norman Powell becomes one of my favorite pickups of next year because he was taking about 13 shots a game or so down the stretch with the Blazers. That number potentially goes up. 13 shots a game was about enough to get Norman Powell to the edge of the top 100. If that number goes up, he rocket boosts inside the top 100. And if his field goal percent, which, by the way, now we're, we're moving on to the Norman Powell thing, I actually, I think he probably ends up somewhere else, but I don't really know. I don't. I don't know. But with Portland this year, he shot just 44%. And this is a guy who'd been shooting in the 49 range for basically two full seasons with Toronto. So that number probably goes up. Great free throw shooter. Good steals guy. Underrated steals guy with starters minutes. There are a lot of guys I like on the Portland Trailblazers going into next year. Specifically because I think that these are a lot of guys that are perennially underrated. For whatever reason. I'll go right down the list. Damian Lillard. Underrated because of quiet consistency. Not that somebody getting drafted at like 6-7 is underrated, but you could make arguments for him to go earlier than that. Nurkic, going to be underrated because he had an injury-plagued, out-of-shape, emotionally-scarred season. That's an easy one. It's callous, but it's easy. C.J. McCollum, going to be underrated because he was finally hurt and people are going to get it in their brains that he's hurt all the time. He's not. He was this year. Norman Powell, underrated because he's a percentages guy. Nobody ever looks at those two damn categories. That's where he excels the most. Rob Covington. Well, I think we know why he's underrated. Dude scores eight points a game. Nobody cares about a guy scoring eight points a game, even if they're getting you three and a half defensive stats a night. But let's also look at this from another standpoint, just while we have two or three minutes here at the end of the show. What if Powell doesn't come back? What if... Anthony Simons steps into that starting shooting guard job. Small forward job. Whatever whatever it happens to be. If, if Simons is the shooting guard and McCollum becomes a small forward, whatever. Does he split the time with Nas Little? Do they each split the time with Derek Jones Jr.? I think it's too murky to say that any one of those guys has the upside if given starters minutes. The only one we've ever really seen play starters minutes is Derek Jones 
that was mostly on other teams. We've sort of seen it game here and there from Anthony Simons, and what we've seen is that neither one of those guys really has the fantasy game to support a draft pick, uh, even with starters minutes. Between the two of them, I would lean towards Derek Jones Jr., simply because he can do things that the team wouldn't get from McCollum and Lillard if Powell wasn't there. He wouldn't be asked to score all that much, but it'd be field goal percent and rebounding and steals and that sort of thing. But I don't think any of those guys actually gets up and over the hump. So for next year in Portland, I'm looking more so at the name brand guys as being either drafted around where their per game marker should be or even slightly behind it. I'll plant my flag in that right now. Let's say Norman Powell does re-sign with the Blazers. I don't know what the probability of that actually happening is. And the starting five is what we saw down the stretch, which was Powell, who we just talked about, Lillard, McCollum, Nurk, and Rocco. You could probably make the argument that all five of those guys beat their ADP by totals next year. Nurkic is the one on that list who's not particularly durable. So that's the one that gives me the most pause. But he'll probably beat his ADP on a per-game basis. So you just need him to get anywhere near the league average and number of games played. Dame, probably right around his ADP per game, but probably beats it by totals. CJ, same story. Powell, maybe beats it both. I don't know where he gets drafted next year. No clue, actually. He might get overdrafted if he comes back to Portland. Rocco, same general idea. With him, it's all tied into his week-to-week on the field goal percent. But this is the start, to me, of something really interesting. The Northwest Division is chock full of of interesting goodies, and the Portland Trailblazers are your July 5th holiday special? Nah, I don't know. Well, in any event, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to get back to taking a holiday. And I hope you guys will as well. Hope everyone had a safe, fun, sausagey, hot doggy, burgery, barbecuey, beyond burgery, if that's your thing, July 4th weekend. We're back with you tomorrow. Uh, Adam King on the show tomorrow. That's going to be a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. We'll also break down not our next team, but yes, the NBA Finals, Suns and Bucks breakdown coming up on tomorrow's show as well. I'm Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball Fantasy and Hoopball Tweets, or just go to hoop-ball.com. Have a great Monday, everybody.